0: Welcome to tax bites for expats the top tax tips you want to know as an expat the podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland complex taxes explained simply we'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time money and stress Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, It's a beautiful, sunny morning here in the southeast of Ireland, Um, and I'm looking forward to this episode quite a lot, actually, because it's a topic that we come across quite frequently. Um, So today we're going to be talking with Paul Quinlan of TopMortgages.ie about all the issues expats need to know about when they're coming back to Ireland and hoping to buy a property and get a mortgage. Um, So just a bit of context before we introduce Paul, um, he's um, the Managing Director of TopMortgages.ie and top mortgages are an unbiased mortgage brokers in Ireland. They focus on helping first-time buyers secure their first home. They help existing mortgage holders save tens of thousands on their interest payments. That's always a good thing. And they also work with, our focus today, expats returning home who need a property mortgage. So I don't think that intro did you justice, Paul, but thank you very (laughs) much for joining us.
1: No worries at all.
0: Pleasure to have you on. So, to kick off, tell us a little bit about yourself, about the business. Uh, you know, for somebody listening in who knows nothing about mortgages in Ireland, tell us about what TopMortgages.ie does to the extent that I haven't with that lovely intro that we gave you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no worries at all. Yeah, I I started Top Mortgages about six or seven, seven years ago now. At this stage, I uh, worked in various bro- other mortgage brokerages for about. In total, about 20, 23 years at this stage, decided to make the move about six or seven years ago because I wasn't getting any younger. Um, things are going very well. Uh, we suppose we had a small scare <laughs> during COVID, like everybody else, thinking it was the end of the world. But things are, things have been moving very well. I Can't complain. Uh, can we we specialize in all types of mortgages for first-time buyers, switcher mortgages, remortgages, equity release mortgages. We look after the investor market as well, um, but we're one of the few brokers in Ireland that specialise in expat mortgages. I've been doing them solid for probably about ten to twelve years now at this stage. So
0: you've got you're you're definitely. You know, we we hear this a lot when we kind of, um, you know, we're quite active in some of the forums for expats, and you're you guys are mentioned constantly as you know having a great reputation, really, you know, knowing the market because it's quite a specialist thing, I'd imagine. Is it you know mortgages for expats coming back to Ireland?
1: It is. It's a it's a little different because you're de- I suppose you're dealing with documentation from all over the world with different types of bank statements, different languages. It's it is yeah. A lot of brokers do tend to avoid it because of the the paperwork involved. But I suppose we're well adverse now to dealing with dealing with mortgages from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, Middle East, UK. So we're well used to dealing with them and basically what documentation would be required from all of those areas. There's certain documentation that you can't get in some countries, but we know kind of ways around that like as well. So any kind of pitfalls that we know will happen from certain countries, we know we know how to deal with them 99% of the time, basically. Anyway.
0: Yeah. And one of the things we would have seen, and I'm sure you've observed it as well, given how long you've been in the market, is, you know, just the number of people, um coming to Ireland to live um you know kind of returning to Ireland maybe they left during the financial crisis um i know i know we did <laughs> and yeah. you know go overseas for seven or eight years uh, maybe you know go overseas meet somebody there marry or you know get married at home but ultimately spend time outside of Ireland and come back with the intention to purchase a property or build a house or you know just essentially come back set up life here um and that's something that we kind of saw even accelerated during COVID, you know, people from the UK moving back, wanting to work for their UK employer, but live in Ireland. I'm sure you get all sorts, really, all sorts of different yeah. scenarios.
1: Yeah. I suppose there's, there's a few different options. There's a few different well, some options, probably the wrong word. There's pretty different ways this can work. I suppose there is a portion of people who come home and they, they have to start because they don't really they don't have a qualification as like an IT consultant accountant or something like that. They w- they might have a trade. So obviously they can't work remotely if they have a trade like that. So they have to come home and find employment over here. Generally, in that situation, the wait time would be probably six months at the minimum before they could um, apply for finance.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you do get option where people do come home working remotely with the same employer. Sometimes they are still paid in the currency from the country that they left, sometimes the employer over here, they're, say their Australian employer might have offices in Ireland, so they move on to the euro payroll. Um, that would be more favourable because with euro income, you can use 100% of euro income, mm-hmm. but when it comes to non-euro income, we have to shave 20% off to allow for currency fluctuations.
0: 20%, wow, that's a yes. lot, isn't it?
1: Now, what we do see, what I'm seeing quite a lot of in the last no, few years is that Particularly, professionals are coming home, still working for this from the same employer, but as a kind of contr, move from employee basis to a contracting basis through an umbrella company. Um you Now, again, yeah, that can, in order for me to, uh, uh, I suppose, apply for finance in that instance, that have we'd have to get a history of of what our earnings have been while they were an, as an employee with the previous employer, but generally. What they look for is at least one year's tax returns. Now, it might be a partial year. They could have came back in, say, July of last year, Mm -hmm. and they might have a a revenue document, a tax return for six months. That would be fine once we have a history of what kind of income they're earning, all invoices up to date. Just to give them an idea there's no real change in income, could actually possibly higher. Again, we can can do that. The biggest stumbling block for people coming back that are not in that, that, they don't, Fit the employee or contractor box is it to come back self-employed,
0: right. either as mm-hmm.
1: a sole trader or a limited company. Then you're waiting probably two, possibly three years before you can apply. Use an income for that person when applying for a mortgage. That's the thing.
0: Paul, can I? Because this, I suppose, <laughs> thinking through kind of, you know, we were just chatting before we started to record there. And I suppose, you know, we tend to work with you guys in terms of we'll provide advice to people coming back who, you know, they want to know what the tax piece looks like. And sometimes, you know, one thing I'm conscious of when I'm giving advice to people is we might say to them, well, this, this, and this gives you a good tax outcome. And then I always kind of as an ancillary at it, but bear in mind, if you need a mortgage, you need to kind of marry that with the advice from your broker in terms of what's going to work for you. So just to kind of make sure I understand exactly what you're saying there. If somebody, let me give you an example. Let's say somebody had a company in the UK. It was their own company. Let's say it's, you know, they join shareholders with their wife, let's say, for example. They come to Ireland and they now want to either set up a new Irish company or continue to work in Ireland for the UK company. Are you saying that in the majority of cases, if they want to use that income for a mortgage application, there needs to be two to three years worth of accounts? Is that what you're saying in Ireland? In other words, showing, okay.
1: Generally, self-employed applicants abroad are outside policy because we generally we've only one door to knock on lender-wise. And self-employed applicants, if you're working in the UK, Australia, you could have a thriving business over there and you want to use the income over here as an they won't allow it. The only type of self-employed income they will allow abroad is would be a contractor. For example, an IT consultant contracting solely to say ComBank in Australia or Barclays in the UK, someone like that or an accountant doing something similar, mm. cannot have multiple clients. Just contract as the only, and you can only be contract, maybe, possibly two, but generally one customer is all you can really contract two. Um If you have a company and you, let's just say, again, in the, the example you said in the UK and you're back living in Ireland, and you're pulling an income from that company in the UK, they won't allow that. You have to be paying taxes in Ireland, and the business would have to be more or less established. You'd want to be pulling an income in Ireland for about two years um, in order for that to to have any chance for the bank to allow that.
0: Okay, because interestingly, from the tax perspective, you know, in the majority of cases, most of the time, and I say that kind of with inverted commas, um, you know, individuals have to start paying tax in Ireland when they move here. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, broadly, I think what you're saying is, you know, in the example I gave, You know, you you don't need to change anything, but you need to manage your expectations around when people are going to be willing to talk to you to give you a mortgage off the back of that. And the sooner you get yourself up to date in Ireland and can show that you're in the system paying taxes here, it's going to move along that conversation. And, you know, I, (laughs) I probably sometimes think too much about the human side of it and it's more because... I suppose because we've been through the the move back and I think particularly for people coming to Ireland and they're Irish, it's it's a bit shocking sometimes because you kind of think, wow, like, you know, well, you know, I went overseas and I've come back, but is it really this hard? Um, And it's really hard for people who kind of come back with an expectation of, oh, you know, I found a property. Like sometimes I talk to clients and they've already started to look at properties before they've come to Ireland, come back. Mm. So then to kind of have the conversation about the mortgage and find out, well, actually, it's not necessarily going to be like that. Really, it really adds weight to the fact that they should contact a broker like yourselves early in the process, doesn't it? Like to plan is to kind of be prepared.
1: I always, I, I try to drill this into people. It's never too early to get the proper advice because a lot of people would have notions that they can actually buy from abroad and they think because they're talking to friends and friends have bought and they think they're in in a similar situation to their friends they can actually that they can but in a a lot of cases it could be down to high childcare costs high rents again self-employment status things like that where it's I, I can probably a 15 minute chat with them I'd be able to establish whether they have any chance of applying from abroad or whether they have to wait till they come home. It could be a lack. They might not have any real savings abroad, things like that. Because obviously, if you're applying from abroad, it's a 30% deposit mm. while you're applying. Now, the majority of expats would have that um, or some way closer or, or they might, get, uh, they might get, a, um, get a parental gift from parents to help them with the deposit because the grandparents could be mad to get the, the grandkids home. Things yes. like that, but that can't that 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 is a, a that is a, um, allowable. But I always say, don't never assume because a lot of people do assume that they do qualify. Um, there's a lot involved in expat mortgages. I had a recent case, a very very strong case recently. The guy was on serious money, but and he was an employee, but on his credit report there was a number of directorships listed on on his credit report abroad. And the bank declined it because of that. Although he was an employee on a huge salary, they wouldn't do it because of that.
0: Where did the banks get those credit reports from, Paul? Like if somebody's been overseas... The customer you
1: know- gets them. The customer has to get them. For example, you're in Australia, you go to either Equifax, Experian or Illion. Like we have a list. I'd always email someone a list of all credit agencies around the world. Um, for US, you get them for TransUnion. UK would be Experian. The one, the main issue, like you can get them in the Middle East as well. Not in all countries in the Middle East, but you can get them in the Middle East too. Mm. And another, re- like another thing as well, of what expats show, particularly Middle Eastern applicants who are leaving the Middle East and are looking to apply, kind of within six months of when they come home. Once you leave the Middle East, you can't get the time of day. You will not be able to get a credit report. You won't be able to get that from previous employers. They just don't do that. So this harps back to getting the advice early where they have to get evidence of three years earnings from previous employers in the Middle East. Get the credit report before you leave the Middle East. These these are all the things, the pitfalls, because when you're back home and they go looking for one, you can't get one. Simple as yeah,
0: that. It's, and the thing is as well, I mean, let's be realistic. When people come back, you know, you're straight into life here, aren't you? You're getting kids into school, you're reconnecting with friends, you're busy and you're sometimes or often in a different time zone. So that was one thing that we found was when we came back, you know, trying to get information from an Australian bank, for example was nigh on possible because of the hours they'd work, or even something simple like they would need a code to text your Australian number, which might not be active anymore. There's all these little things that just make life that bit more difficult. So yeah, I think, you know, the thing I'm hearing here is Have a con, have a conversation with a broker before you get on the plane as early as you can. Have realistic expectations and and don't assume that your situation is identical to your friends simply because on the face of it, it might seem to be that, that way. It it really is the devil is in the detail. Um, and is it? You know, is it all bad news? Like, what do you find? Like, you obviously got, you guys make a business out of this. So obviously you are routinely and successfully securing mortgages for expats every day. Like, it's obviously possible. It's just about, you know, knowing how to go about it.
1: Yeah. Look, our approval rate is is very high because... I say, I suppose I won't say weeding out, is probably it's an awful word to use, but we'd be able to, if someone doesn't qualify for a mortgage abroad, we can spot that straight away. We can spot the potential pitfalls. And if it is a situation, we tell people, look, you're not going to get this while you're, you won't be able to get a mortgage while you're abroad because of this, this, and this, you have to wait until you come home. So, and I'd always say to people, look, before you come home, a month or two before you come home, Contact me again. I'll tell you what information you need to bring home with you. So when you do, so it'll, it just avoids that the hassle that you can't get a credit report. If you're looking for a credit report, you're trying to ring Equifax from Ireland at different crazy times. So I'd always get those documents just before you leave. So we'd have all that. So it, it avoids all that hassle um, um, when, when they come home. And I and I put them on a path. Then okay, here's what you need to do. I'd have a fair idea of what kind of income they would be on, even bef- based on and I suppose their qualifications and stuff like that. So I and I'd establish then what their max borrowing potential that they want to apply for. Some people might want a mortgage of more than two hundred, three hundred thousand. So I tell them what they have to do. Are you going to be moving, living with family when you come home? Will you be renting privately? Things like that. I need to know all that information. So I need to put them on the right track. So when they do come home, when they start working, say in month one, they, they get the job straight away, that they're they're on the right track and they're, they're doing everything right. So at the end, so in six months down the road, when they apply, they get approved first time. There's no messing around.
0: <laughs> Can I ask a question? What do you mean when you say being abroad? And the reason I ask that is because this is where I find people get a bit confused and understandably so. Um, Let me explain to you what I mean. So from an Irish perspective, there's a definition of tax residency and it's based purely on the number of days that you have in the country. So in Mm -hmm. theory, you can be living in Ireland, working in Ireland, but you haven't necessarily triggered tax residency yet. Um, Then what we find is the Department of Social Protection, to the extent that it's handing out maybe social benefits to people who have an entitlement, will have a definition which I think is habitual residency, which is actually different again from the tax residency rule. And then you've talked about applying while abroad versus being in Ireland. So maybe just explain to me what you mean by that. In other words, if somebody comes back and applies while they're here on an extended holiday, I, I'm assuming you're saying it has to be you're actually physically living in Ireland yes, when you're applying. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, there's a couple, there's a, I suppose there's a, there's a couple of ways that can happen. Mainly people, obviously, again, I'll just I'll take the example of a family, a couple with, with or without kids, they come back, and they're both working here. The bank will want a history of you working here. They'll want to see pay slips. They'll want to see banking activity. And gen- generally, if obviously if are paid in euros, no matter how qualified you are, the likes of Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB, they will they will insist that you're back in Ireland six months before you can entertain an application. Doesn't matter if you move back with the same employers. They'll insist on that. Wow. Now, also as well, what 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 another scenario that we would get would be. Um, couple come home. The say one of the kids. It's normally that would be say the, say the, the the wife is actually at home living with the kids. Say for example, she's not working. She's a homemaker. She's and she's living at home. She's two or three kids. The husband could be working in the UK or could be working in the Middle East. That wouldn't be that that would be referred to as an FX mortgage, a foreign exchange, rather than an expat mortgage, because he's coming over and back to see the kids, maybe could be working for four weeks on and coming home for, for two weeks to see the family that's another scenario as well in mm-hmm. that instance then what we'd have to factor in would be accommodation costs and flight costs over and back to uk or wherever he's living um who covers that does the employer cover that in a lot of cases the employer duke does cover flight costs they might cover all of them they might cover a limited number of them but we'd have to we'd have to factor in accommodation costs does the employer cover that or does the the does the applicant have to cover that? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there are two different scenarios. Um, but generally the majority, I'd say 70% of applicants would, they apply from abroad while they're living and working in the abroad, whether, whatever country yeah. it is. They acquire the property while they're abroad. So when they do come home, they have that property to move into. So they're not looking around for rental properties. They're not living with family and things like that. Most people do want to have that property bought before they come home
0: and um from the point of view of like because i'm just thinking about it from a cash perspective let's use that example you've had to put up more of a deposit are you paying a higher rate and does the rate change when you come back and you start to live here or are you basically locked in on an expat rate then until you can renegotiate
1: the rate that we get for mortgages we just we put it's under the holiday home banner with haven mortgages so basically what, you, what expats are getting, they're getting the exact same interest rate as a normal resident resident applying for a mortgage. There's no difference in rate. The only thing they have to do when they come home is amend their correspondence address, and that's it. They are the, wow. okay. the same interest rate. Now, obviously, if you went directly to the likes of AIB, it's buy-to-let rates, which are about, I think the fixed rates at the moment with them are about, I think are close to 8%. Wow. So what, so what you'd have to do with them then when you come home is prove to the bank that they're back living here mm. and they will move you then. Just prove your primary residence and then they'll move you onto to normal home loan rates. I don't know how, how tedious the process, you know, it's like dealing with banks. I don't know what the process is, but I think it's it's not too, it's not too bad. Once you can prove that they're living here, fight pay slips, utility bills, maybe show banking activity for a few months they'll move you on to normal home loan rates then but we get we get we get those rates from the outset
0: which so yeah i mean this is the value isn't it it's just Mm. why would you put yourself through that if you didn't need to It's just (laughs) make it as easy as you can um Okay. So can you step me through? Cause I'm trying to think back to when we got our mortgage um, and I'd be brutally honest. I think my husband, dealt with most of it, so I'm not an expert on it. What does it look like? What's the process? If somebody kind of wanted to kind of have some idea, cause you know, I was saying to you before we start to record, we found in Australia, buying a house was, it was a really set process. Do you know what I mean? It was like, put an offer down. If your finance isn't approved by this date, the, the sale falls through. Whereas in Ireland, it tends to be this kind of, yeah, I don't know, it's like some kind of a weird dance that can go on for a really long time. And I'm sure the mortgage is a bit part of that. What does it look like when you go through the process?
1: I always say to people, don't, until you have an approval in principle, don't don't even look, open up daft or my home or whatever it is. Don't look because you're tormenting yourself. You will not be taken seriously by any selling agent unless you can provide proof of funds. Okay. Proof of funds would be the approval and principle cert. Now, what a lot of selling agents will look for as well, and you'd probably be shocked when you hear this, because obviously you're looking for, say, for example, if someone is buying a property for half a million, an ex and they want a mortgage at 350, which is 70% finance. A lot of selling agents will ask to see, they'll want confirmation that you have the 150000 in savings to cover the deposit as well. So don't be surprised if you're asked for that. Now, generally, I can, if I got a call from the selling agent, I'd be able to confirm that over the phone or by email, because I wouldn't submit an application unless the balance of funds were in place, whether it be through all savings or savings and a, uh, being, uh, a dig out from a par- uh, from parents as well. So I wouldn't submit an application until we have that in place. So I can confirm all that. As I said to you the main starting point is to get the advice because we have to establish affordability for a mortgage, affordability mm. for expats. The only way expats can show affordability is through regular savings. I'll explain how it works. What the bank does is they will stress test whatever ye want, whatever the customers want to borrow at 6% over whatever term they want. Now, the max term for expats is 25 years, but obviously, if someone comes to the table and The max age haven due mortgages up to age 68. So if someone, two applicants come to the table and they're both age 50, max term is 18 years. But the max term we can do normally is 25 years. So whatever the stress test repayment is, say for example, it's 2000 euros. Well, then the customers have to show clear affordability for the six months lead up to the mortgage application. And the only way expats can do that is through a regular savings pattern. So it's the most simplest way of explaining this Customers are transferring, say it's three thousand Aussie dollars. They're transferring three thousand dollars Aussie dollars into a savings account every month and they're not touching it. They're leaving it alone. Like we I'd often get cases where people could have they might have half a million Aussie dollars in savings, but they might have twenty-five different savings accounts. They might have three different share accounts, deposit and they're moving money. They're probably bored at home and they're moving money here, there and everywhere. And all of a sudden I can't nail down affordability. And they're looking at me, Paul, I can't get you. I, I said, I can't get you a mortgage because I can't see affordability. So I have to go away and tell, look, go away, save that that every six months and don't, or every month for six months and come back and you'll be fine. That's the, that's the one of the main qualifying criteria. Now we also have to factor in, obviously, rents, um, childcare costs. Cause obviously, once you move into the realms of having two, three kids abroad, the childcare costs go abroad, go, sorry, they go high and then, one of the applicants either stops working or starts working part-time hours. So we need to know all of that. And that will give us an idea of what our max borrowing potential is based on their current scenario, things like that.
0: And that's really interesting because, you know, I'm having this conversation in the context of somebody who's planning a move to Ireland. But I think what you're saying is the banks basically look at affordability in the foreign location. So they're looking at foreign childcare costs, which are completely redundant if the person is only trying to secure a property to come back and live here and then they're going to pay Irish. So it's really a point in time that they look at, isn't it? And kind of what happens after that, you know, as long as you've got your approval, it's your own business to some extent.
1: Yeah, Look, they look at childcare. Childcare costs, I think, are probably unfair because it's not a situation you're going to have childcare costs for the full 25 years of the mortgage. But they look at, ch- I know in some countries, childcare costs is subsidized. So it's, again, I'm, I know I'm harping back on Australia because that's where probably the main, that's where most of the people went went to back in the day. They can they pick up childcare costs from your bank account. So whatever's leaving your bank account on a monthly basis, that's what we have to factor in for childcare costs. The reason why we have to factor in a foreign rent is that, say, for example, if someone wants to buy a property now, but they're not coming home for two or three years, Well then. They will continue to pay rent abroad mm-hmm. while they're servicing the mortgage over here. So we have to treat the rent, the foreign rent, like a personal loan, and okay. that does have an effect. Now, once you, if you're doing an application for some, for um, a customer in Singapore, rents are just ridiculous over there. You know what I mean? And, and, and what I'm after seeing as well in the Middle East, I can see rents spiraling in the Middle East as well in some in some areas, and people could have been on astronomical salaries, but they're paying an astronomical rent. And mm-hmm. and I go back to them and say, "Oh, you only qualify for this," and they're speechless on the phone. But because but it's just due to the, the high outgoings. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, generally, again, I say when you're when you're talking the number, then the amount of kids that you have that has an effect. And then, if you're into the realms of having single applicant, sorry, a joint applicant, one income earner with kids, childcare costs and rent, the earning applicant would have to be on very, very big salary. Because generally mm-hmm. on, on 99% of the case, you do need two incomes. Having a second income, no matter how small it is, makes a huge difference to how much you can So buy. then
0: you must, so I'm just thinking about what, how that plays out. I'm thinking it probably plays out that people, some people will initiate a discussion with you. You will give them the information and say yes or no. You know you're you're going to get approval or you're not. Yeah. And then there must be a cohort of people who go. You know what? This is the too hard basket. We're going to go back. We'll rent six months. Rent for six months. Get jobs. Rent for six months and reapply. Is that where people yeah. go if they can't get over that hurdle of yeah, getting look, it from abroad?
1: You see what I don't, what I don't want to do, and and you'd often see it with the banks. If you have someone is dealing directly with the banks. They'll do anything to get you in the door. They'll tell you exactly what you want to hear, but they're only really doing it to establish a relationship with you. They'll probably waste about three three months of your life, and then tell you what I'd be after telling you after fifteen minutes. I just mm. don't like wasting people's time. I know the and again, I don't mean to get a big head here, but I know the criteria out. So I know that what the pitfalls are. Mm. If there's a small if there's a small chance of getting this over the line, I generally get some small. Amount of support and documentation from the customers and submitted inquiry to our broker representative, so she'd run it by credit. And then they'd come back to me and say no or yeah, And then we'd go, we'd apply then. But generally, if people don't qualify from abroad for some reason, I tell them straight away, look, you're qualifying for 20,000 euros. you are got to have to wait till you come home. And I'd always say, when are you when coming home? They might say, the end of next year. Call me a month or two before you come home. We'll have, we'll go through all the information again. We'll have a they might have jobs lined up when they come home because they could have came home from a few holidays. They might have something lined up, and then I'll put them on the right track. So when they do come home, they know exactly what to do mm. when they start straight away. Because nothing worse come because you'd often get this. And this is some people could could save up a, a lot of money abroad, three hundred thousand. They come home, they both start work, they move in with family no rent and they stop saving and they might have any affordability and they're looking at probably four hundred thousand in savings makes no difference you've no affordability and you have to have affordability demonstrated on the six months lead up to your mortgage application you mm-hmm. could have saved a million a million euros prior to that and stop saving makes no difference six months is key and that's why i always say to people don't get the advice too late get as early you can get the advice now. And you might be home for three years. I often get... E- I, I, I'm getting emails back and calls back from people I spoke to three, four years ago and they're only coming back now because I told mm-hmm. them to come back to me because they're coming back this year or early next year. So just, go, just going through things with them again. Um, so when they do come home, if it is a situation where they're applying when they come home, well, then I put them on the right track. And generally, when they normally do listen to me, they get approved straight away after six months.
0: There's you know, That's why I think what you guys do is so good is because... You know, people are like I, I. I would like to kind of be able to speak here and say, oh, you know, moving to Ireland is easy, and it is in the majority of cases. But it's it's commonly known, you know, emigrating anywhere is not easy, even if it's back to the location that you kind of grew up in. Um. So when you're dealing with people who know the ins and outs, it actually does just make your life easier. Because to go back to your point. If somebody contacts you and says, you know what, we have found a property and we want to buy it and we want a mortgage and we are living in Singapore, for example, and you have probably a difficult conversation with them and say, you know what, realistically, it's just not going to happen. That's disappointing, but you don't waste time. You don't waste energy. You move on to the next thing and you kind of recalibrate and you make a decision. And, And that was kind of our experience when we came back was that sometimes you were disappointed, but you just got on with it. Where people get really frustrated, I find, is when they go through that process you said the banks will sometimes drag you through. Come talk to us for three months, fill out 50 pieces of paperwork, and we're still going to tell you no. That's when people lose the will to live because then there's lots of emotional energy has been wasted on it and the answer is still the same. So I think what I'm hearing is, you know, six months healthy Finances is must whether you're abroad or in Ireland, and that's kind of a message to people who are looking for a mortgage across the board. But you know, in the majority of cases, you know, you know, it's going to be very specific on your situation. But having somebody help you navigate that process is going to make it easier, regardless of what the answer is going to be at the end of it.
1: That's what we aim to do. Look, look, obviously, the mortgage process, if you're applying from in Ireland, it's daunting, but when you're I suppose three thousand miles away, and you have no one contacting on the other side exactly where you are. I email them every, I won't say every day, but I keep in contact and I explain to them from start to finish. Just listen to me. I'll talk you through the whole process: approval stage, valuation, structural survey, everything. I tell them exactly what to do step by step. They're probably sick of the, sick of emails off me at the end of it, but but they're not. They're never left sitting there. What do we do now? Because I'm always telling them, "Here's what's outstanding. Here's what we need to do." I suppose a coach is probably too strong a word, but because I think most people do appreciate that they, they they're never left in the lurch.
0: Oh, and look, you know, buying a house is one of the most stressful life events. Getting a mortgage to buy your dream house or your house is also stressful. You know, it's a hurdle you have to get across if you want to get Mm. to that place. And, you know, a lot of people are coming back and I see as well, you know, a lot of people, they've gone overseas and they worked really hard for the money that they've saved. Like that 400,000 euro or Dollars, whatever it is, it's been hard got. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I think that's a really massive um, plus for your service. I, I don't, I've never had a client get upset with me because I've given them too much information or held their hand too much. And um, mm. so I think that's a, a massive positive. Um, Okay, there's so much to that. I kind of feel like we should definitely have another chat. Um, can I ask you, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Give me the top three things you would like people to take away from this discussion, because there'll be a cohort of people who'll who'll maybe fast forward to that bit. But yeah, tell me what you. If if, if that's easily done,
1: I suppose the f- number one, obviously, and I've said it, I've already said it already. Is get the advice as early as possible. That will find out whether it's an option for you to buy abroad or whether you have to wait or come home now there are some situations whereby like first for example self employed status people can move while they're abroad from self employed status to an employee status so they might want to bite the bullet cuz they're, they're definitely coming home so there are situations where we can help people in that in that instance but i always say to people get the advice as early as possible so we can determine when we can get an application sent whether you have to wait or what you can do it before you come home. That's the that is the one. And everything else after that follows. Because once we get once we get to get to talk to people, we can spot if there's if they're not saving enough, if there's childcare costs, um, they might have to mo- if they could be living in a in a property with a massive rent, they may have to downsize to a lower rent. We can spot all these things. There's very few things that you can manipulate to get a higher loan amount. Maybe one of the applicants could be working part time. The option is to go working full time, move to cheaper rented accommodation, things like that. And um, they could say to you, "Look, yeah, we are paying childcare costs now, but they could be coming down because they're going into, uh, the youngest is going into school, so they'll be gone. So that'll determine when we can get an application away. But we can by having a conversation with someone, whether it's over the phone or by, or, or over Zoom, we can spot all these things and we can plan it. A- we can plan ahead if need be. But the main thing, and it's the only thing, is to get the advice and all the other possible issues after that can be picked can be can be weeded out basically that's
0: brilliant it's always better to have one key piece of advice rather than having to remember three so i like yeah, that <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly we can spot we, we spot that we spot potential issues if it's an absolute no-go for some reason or, or another say the incomes aren't brilliant abroad they could have two or three kids high care costs higher rent, they might they might qualify for zero. I tell them, it's, it's an awful thing to say because the people are in shock because they're on big money and they have a good lifestyle abroad. But I will tell them, look, you're not going to qualify for any anything at all at the moment. Here's why and here's what you have to do. And then Brilliant. people are, I think most people appreciate that. Oh, probably you overly honest, but, but I think Definitely. it's the only way to go. There's no point in, in keeping people stringing
0: along. And I think, you know, there'll be a lot of people listen to this and, if I was, I'd be thinking, you know, how do I contact Paul to kind of have a discussion? What's the best way for people to make contact with you, Paul? Uh, you know, taking that key piece of advice, do it as soon as you can.
1: Yeah, just email paul at topmortgages.ie, set up an appointment, and we'll go. We'll arrange an appointment when one or both of you are present. We'll go through everything. Some appointments can go on for an hour, others 15 minutes, but at least you'll know exactly where you stand, whether it's an option to buy from abroad or not. And I just, because... You'd often hear me. Oh, I was talking to Tommy in the pub the other day. Tommy got a mortgage. No, he's very He's worse off than us. Don't be listening to that. That's I, I hate when I hear that. I always say to people, talk to me first, and I'll tell you if it's an option or not. And it could be a situation whereby I might be able to if it doesn't work for me. But people actually have their, their sale agreed on a property. It might work with AIB directly because it's a buy to let. It's a little bit different, mm. but I can introduce into a mortgage manager in AIB here. I'd run the case by him and he'd tell him, yellow, Paul, that could work here. And I'd send them on to them. I don't mind missing out on the business. If once the customers get sorted, um, but that's basically how I'd operate.
0: Brilliant advice. Really, really good. Um, I've learned. <laughs> I've learned so much from talking <laughs> to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, we really definitely need to do this again. And um, you've given your contact details there. Um, For anybody who's a regular listener and you know, you have questions, I suppose, specifically around some of the the points that paul mentioned about coming back from abroad and working for a foreign employer we offer consults as well to kind of talk about the tax issues and we tend to work quite closely with paul when we can see people need a mortgage and we are specialists so we like to refer our clients on to trusted specialists too so thank you so much for the chat paul i think we'll have to line another one up and um, yeah enjoy this lovely weather and um i'm sure we'll talk again soon
1: no worries at all thanks guys
0: Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.